If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. The title of the series I'm beginning today is The Kingdom. The Kingdom. The Word of God has a lot to say as we're going to see this morning, a a tremendous amount to say about the kingdom of God. And yet, I I believe it's one of the least understood concepts in Scripture. It's one of the most vital, but one of the least understood. And uh, this, this message today will be markedly different from practically every other message I preach. Normally, I, I preach uh, the type of sermons that are known as expository sermons. That is, you take a, a, a portion of Scripture, a passage of Scripture, and expose it uh, in relation uh, to its context in, in, in terms of a theme. And I could probably count on my both hands the number of times I've departed from, from preaching that way over the last 30 years. But uh, today is one of those days. And so bear with me, uh, not expecting this will be any kind of masterpiece, but I do believe I have a word from the Lord. And that's what counts, amen? So as we uh, look into the pages of God's word today, I don't have one specific passage. We're gonna, I'm going to refer to many, as I said. Uh, but I, as we kick off this series, want to answer today this basic question, what must we understand about the kingdom of God? What must we understand about the kingdom of God? I am sure if we asked a lot of people uh, what uh, the kingdom of God is, we would get a variety of answers. And let me say there is disagreement among scholars and theologians about uh, what the kingdom of God is and what it uh, is all about. But I believe we have some clarity from the scriptures today, and so I want to answer the question, what must we understand about the kingdom of God? And following my message today, uh, I I want to um, just have us respond to the word of God. I believe it's, it's one thing to hear the word, it's another thing to respond to it. Amen? So uh, I, I, know, I know we've prayed... Uh, couple times this morning and and I've just prayed I'm going to pray one more time that we would have listening ears and open hearts and that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word this morning but that we would be doers we would be responders to the word of God and so will you pray with me right now Holy Spirit we are here in your presence we are looking into the word of God that Lord you have inspired Father, I come against every distraction. I come against every hindrance. Lord, I come against anything that would, uh, Lord, uh, oppose what you want to do today. Lord, may we have not only listening ears, but open hearts. May you speak to us today. Lord, may we leave this place understanding more than we ever have before uh, the kingdom of God and, uh, Lord, its implications for our lives. 
Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. What must we understand about the kingdom of God? Well, the first thing we need to understand is the importance of the kingdom of God. Pastor Tim, why are, why are you focusing on that today? Why is the kingdom of God important? Well, I want to suggest to you uh, some reasons. First of all, uh, the kingdom uh, of God uh, is the central theme. It was the central theme of John the Baptist in the New Testament. Uh, he uh, said, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, secondly, the uh, importance of the kingdom uh, is seen in the fact that this was the central theme of the ministry of Jesus. If you take a concordance, uh, how do I know what a concordance is? About 20%. Okay, a concordance is like a, like a dictionary, not a dictionary, but it's like a, an index for words and concepts in the Bible. And if you look in a concordance of the Bible, you will see uh, numerous references to the kingdom uh, spoken by our Lord Jesus Christ. It was the central focus of his ministry. Uh, Matthew 4.17 says, From then on Jesus began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. His ministry ended with the same emphasis. Acts 1.3 says, After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Just listen to some of these other references that Jesus made to the kingdom of God. In Matthew 5.3, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Matthew 12.28, If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Matthew 19.24, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, Matthew 13.11, The secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given for you to know but it has not been given to them. Mark 14, 25. I assure you I will no longer drink the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in a new way in the kingdom of God. Uh, Luke 4, 43. When the crowds tried to keep Jesus from going to other cities, he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And in Luke 10, 9 and 11, it says, when he sent the 70 out, twice he told them to declare that the kingdom of God has come near you. I would say Jesus had a lot to say about the kingdom, wouldn't you? Also, Paul, uh, it, was, it was the central theme of the New Testament. Paul continued this emphasis in Acts 19.8. It says, Then he entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, engaging in discussion and trying to persuade them about things related to the kingdom of God. James in James uh, 2.5 said, Listen, my brothers, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom he has promised to those who love him? Also, uh, the apostle John 
uh, spoke of it in the gospel and concluded Revelation with this emphasis. Revelation 11:15. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Can we go to the next slide, please? Uh, Revelation 12:10 uh, says, The salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah have now come because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown out, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. And it's not just limited to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, it, it is a central teaching as well. Zechariah 14, 19. On that day, Yahweh will become king over all the earth. Yahweh alone and his name alone. Obadiah 121, Sabers will ascend Mount Zion to rule over the hill country of Esau, but the kingdom will be the Lord's. And Daniel 7, 14, we just covered this in our Bible study Wednesday night. He, uh, speaking prophetically of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was given authority to rule and glory and a kingdom so that of, of those of every people, nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. The kingdom. The kingdom. The word of God is all about the kingdom of God. And church, this morning, we need to be all about the kingdom of God. Say, well, Pastor Tim, I don't quite understand it. Well, that's why we're here today. To help us to understand as we begin on this journey of exploring the, the significance of the kingdom of God. And so I believe if it was the central teaching of the, of the New Testament and the Old Testament and of the ministry of Jesus, we need to be concerned about the kingdom today. You know, uh, we, we focus on current events and it's kind of hard not to, isn't it? In this information age. And we're bombarded with politics and and, uh, and, and, you know, the, 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 the world is all a, a flutter uh, with this uh, leaked Supreme Court decision that will overturn Roe v. Wade. And, of course, it's only a draft, and it can, it can be modified before the final opinion is given. But I want to say, as a side note, praise God. Amen. And, and this, this doesn't mean, of course, that all abortions will, will cease, but it will go back to the states and, and, and it will go on from there. But uh, praise God that, that uh, justices uh, are recognizing that there is uh, no right to murder unborn children in our Constitution. Hallelujah. But we, we, we focus on, you know, uh, bills in Florida and Texas and what legislations are doing. And we become so focused on the kingdoms of this world. Now, I get it. We should be informed. Matter of fact, we should be involved. We should vote. We should, we should be involved and try to make a difference in our world. But let me tell you something. Uh, our, our guest said it last week. We should be more about the kingdom of God than about the kingdoms on this earth. We should be less political and more kingdom this morning. You hear me this morning? So the kingdom of God is extremely important. It's extremely important for us to understand this morning. What's the second thing? 
we need to understand about God's kingdom. It is the nature of the kingdom. The nature of the kingdom. I want to uh, share some principles that uh, clarify the nature of the kingdom of God. You're here today, you say, Pastor Tim, or you're watching online, great to have you joining us. You say, Pastor Tim, I've, I've heard of the kingdom of God, and I know it's a, it's a phrase, but I don't really know much about it. Well, today we're going to discover a lot about the kingdom of God, the nature of the kingdom. First of all, we need to understand this. Its primary meaning in the Bible is not that of the realm over which a ruler rules, or the people of the realm, but it's of the authority to rule the sovereignty of the king. We speak of a kingdom as a realm, you know, the kingdom of such and such a land. Or we speak of the people of that realm as, as a kingdom. And, and those are modern, contemporary English uses of, uh, of that word. But that is not the primary biblical meaning. The primary biblical meaning is the authority of the king, the sovereignty of the king, the right to rule. We see this in the Old Testament with the use of the Hebrew word Malkuth, which is translated kingdom. Psalm 103.19, The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Psalm 145.13 says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The same idea is present in the Greek word in the New Testament translated kingdom into our English Bibles. That Greek word is, is basileia. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done. Uh, that's in Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What does that say to us? It says that as the will of God is done in the earth, that his kingdom comes to that extent. His kingdom is extended. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus said to seek first his, meaning the Father's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things, all the necessities of life will be given to you as well. Seek first the Father's kingdom and all the necessities of life will be given to you as well. So uh, kingdom primarily in scripture is the authority, the sovereignty, the right uh, of the king to rule. Second thing we need to note about the nature of the kingdom of God. It has both future and present aspects, both future and present aspects. The Jews thought of time in, in two ways, the present age and the age to come. That's how they divided time. The age to come is the time after Christ's return when there's no more opposition to his rule. Now, in this present age, though Satan was defeated at the cross and by the resurrection, he is still allowed to wield tremendous power and influence this world for evil. While God is in control, how many believe God's in control? About half, okay. While God is in control, his kingdom rule is not completely manifest throughout the earth. That is why there's so much evil in the world. So the fully manifest kingdom rule of God will be in the future. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 24 and 25 says, Then the end will come 
when he, meaning Jesus, hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. So the kingdom of God is future. The fully realized, perfectly uh, uh, realized kingdom of God is in the future when, uh, when Satan has been bound completely and all opposition to the rule of God is, is eliminated. But the kingdom also has a present reality. When the religious leaders ridiculously accuse Jesus of casting out demons by Satan's power, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Jesus told them that a kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, will not be able to stand. And Jesus concluded that in Matthew 12, 25 and 27 by saying this, If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. In Luke 17, 20 through 21, once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Now, in some translations, that's a poor translation. What Jesus actually said, a better translation, is that the kingdom of God is in your midst, or among you. So Jesus said, uh, you can't look at the kingdom and see it somehow as it's, though it's something tangible. Uh, he said, uh, but uh, when uh, God works in this present age, the kingdom of God has come into your midst. So the kingdom of God, though fully, fully realized in the age to come, it bursts into this present age whenever God's will is done, whenever his rule is extended. When someone gets saved and gives their heart to Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is, has come. When someone is healed, the kingdom of God has come into our midst. Uh, when uh, a broken marriage is restored, the kingdom of God has come near us. When an alcoholic or a drug addict or a pornography addict or a gambler is set free, the kingdom of God has come. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful that though the full realization of God's kingdom will be in the future, that his kingdom bursts into the present, that he is active, that Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God in this present age. And whenever the will of God is done, whenever there's a soul set free, whenever there is a life change, the kingdom of God has come near to us. Hallelujah. I'm thankful that God began to usher in uh, the nearness of his kingdom in this present age. One more thing we need to understand about the nature of the kingdom. The church is not the kingdom of God. Some have confused the church with the kingdom of God. The church is not the kingdom of God. It is called to bear witness to God's kingdom. The, the church is called to do the works of Jesus. Remember when Jesus said, the works that I do, you shall do these works, and greater works than these you shall do. The church is called to do the works of Jesus, preaching the kingdom, ministering to the needy with compassion, healing the sick, sharing God's love. You see, church, that's our calling, to bear witness to the kingdom of God. It's not a popular message. 
It's not, it's, it's, it's not going to win you pats on the back in many circles. Can I tell you that? Because you see, we human beings, we, we like to think we're in control, don't we? We like to think that, 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 that uh, the, the political power and the, the, the other types of power that are wielded by human beings, that that power is supreme. And so the message of the kingdom cuts across all that. And guess what? We're called to deliver that message. We are called to tell this sick and dying world that the kingdom of God has come near to them. That God by his kingdom authority wants to set them free. That God by his kingdom power wants to deliver them. That God wants to give them the joy and the peace that comes only through knowing Jesus Christ. We the church are called to bear witness to the kingdom of God. Say, Pastor Tim, why are you raising your voice? Why, why are you emphasizing this so much? It's because it's time for us to get serious about the kingdom of God. We become so enamored with the things of this earth and with the things that please our flesh. And I'm, I'm preaching to myself as well as you. But we become so fixated on things that don't matter, church. When we are the church, we are called to bear witness to the kingdom of God. We are called to the down and outers to tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you and God wants to deliver you. So the importance of the kingdom of God. It's the authority. It's the rule of Almighty God. What's the third thing we need to understand about the kingdom of God? It's the demand of the kingdom, which is to decide to receive it. The demand of the kingdom, to decide to receive it. The kingdom of God has one demand, to receive it. We can choose to receive it or reject it. Now, you can reject it actively by saying no to it. Or how many know this is true? You can reject the kingdom of God passively by ignoring it. You hear me this morning? Some people, we don't understand how, we don't understand why, but they will act, actively reject the kingdom of God the kingdom authority, the rule of God in their lives. But some will passively reject it. That is by just ignoring it. But the decision to receive the kingdom authority, the kingdom rule of God into your life must be a deliberate one. Must be a deliberate one. And this morning there are four aspects to one's decision to receive God's kingdom. The first thing is this. To receive God's kingdom is a decision to repent. To receive God's kingdom is a decision to repent. In John 3, 2, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus, in Matthew 4, 17, said those exact same words, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, in the original Greek, the word translated into English as repent is the Greek word metanoia. It means to change the mind. To repent means to change the mind, to reverse course, to do an about face. The decision to embrace the kingdom authority of God is the decision to think differently, to turn around, to reverse course in life. There is no salvation, no entering God's kingdom without repentance. Did you know that this morning? 
Well, Pastor Tim, uh, you, you don't understand. I've been a churchgoer for decades. Wonderful. Don't stop. Pastor Tim, I watch church on TV. Great. Great. Do that. Pastor Tim, I, I put a big check in the offering last week. Oh, thank God. And a lot of you did last week, by the way, to, 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 give, to bless our guests. Thank you for that. Don't stop doing that either. That's a good thing. But it's not the same as repentance. It won't get you in the kingdom of God. Repent. That is a, a, a running theme throughout the New Testament. The decision to receive the kingdom uh, sovereignty, the authority of Almighty God in one's life is a decision to repent. It says, I'm not going to go my own way. I'm not going to follow my own agenda. I'm not going to do what's right in my eyes, but I am going to turn around. I am going to turn to Jesus. I am going to make him the Lord of my life. I am going to allow the kingdom authority, the kingdom rule of Almighty God to rule and reign in my life. Secondly, the decision to receive the kingdom of God is a radical decision. It's radical. In uh, Mark 9, 45 and 47, Jesus said this, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom is being preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. Some translations say everyone enters it violently. Can you imagine? Is Jesus, is Jesus condoning physical violence? No, he's not. He's saying the decision to enter the kingdom of God, to receive the kingdom rule of God in one's life, is so radical. It's a forceful thing. It's not something you just slip into. It's not something that happens to you. It is almost as if it's violent. It is forceful. It is a radical decision to allow the kingdom rule of God in one's life. In Luke 14, 26, uh, Jesus, or excuse me, in um, Mark 9, I, I gave you the wrong reference. That last one was Luke 16, 16. In Mark 9, 45 through 47, listen to what Jesus said. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Talk about radical. Now that language is metaphorical. We understand that. Jesus was not literally... Uh, advocating for the cutting off of feet or the plucking out of eyes. But he's saying our hatred of sin, our, our buy-in to the kingdom rule of Almighty God has to be so severe that anything in our life uh, that, that, that detracts from that, that leads us down the path of sin, that, that works against the kingdom authority of God in our life has to be radically eliminated. In Luke 14, 26, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. How many know that's radical language? Again, metaphorical. He's not saying we should hate our loved ones. 
But he's saying our love for God, our embrace of the kingdom rule of God in our lives has to be so complete, so radical, so thorough that it's as if we hate our loved ones by comparison. That's a radical decision. Hear me, church. We cannot casually receive the kingdom of God. We cannot casually be kingdom people today. If you and I, as the church of Jesus Christ, are to be kingdom people, it needs to be a radical decision. It needs to be complete. It needs to be thorough. It needs to affect every area of our lives. It's a radical decision. Thirdly, this morning, it's a costly decision. When a rich young man came to Jesus saying he had obeyed the biblical commandments and asking what he can do to receive eternal life, Jesus told him, it's very simple, sell everything you have and then come follow me. That's in Matthew 19, 16 through 22. You know what the rich man did, don't you? He walked away very sad because it was very wealthy. Now, we need to understand this morning, there's no inherent spirituality in being poor. Poverty does not make you spiritual. That's not the point. You can have a wealth of possessions and enter the kingdom, but you can't love your possessions and enter the kingdom. Do we understand the, this, the distinction this morning? And so receiving God's kingdom, hear me church, because this is something our our 2022 sensibilities don't want to hear. Entering the kingdom of God, walking in the kingdom of God, living in the kingdom of God will always cost you something. Always. Maybe wealth. Maybe your independence. Maybe your life. In Luke 9, 24 uh, and 25, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. He must deny himself. That's not, don't, don't, don't misinterpret that. That's not saying, you know, deny yourself something for Lent. Deny, de, deny yourself, uh, you know, that dessert today at lunch. No, deny yourself. Take up your cross. What was the cross? The cross was an instrument of death. Take up your cross. It's a costly decision. And those of us, of us who have made it and live by it and stick by it every day of our lives know uh, there are many, many times in our lives when the decision to be uh, to, to walk in the kingdom of God, to have his kingdom rule in our lives, it will cost you something every day of your life. Fourthly, the decision to receive the kingdom of God is an eternal decision. In Luke 12, verses 8 and 9, Jesus said, I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. The decision to receive God's kingdom authority and surrender your entire life to him or to reject his kingdom rule will affect your eternal future. Did you know that? Matter of fact, it's, it's the only thing that will affect your eternal future. Did you know that? Christ is the dividing line. Receiving him 
acknowledging him as Savior, allowing the kingdom rule of Almighty God in your life is the only thing that will positively affect your eternal future and mine. Jesus said if we refuse to acknowledge him before men, he will refuse to acknowledge us before the Father. But the opposite is true. If we acknowledge him before men, he will acknowledge us. I have good news, though, for our future. Matthew 13, 43 says, The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Hallelujah. That's a promise from Almighty God. Amen, church? If we live according to the kingdom rule of Almighty God, if His authority rules and reigns in our lives, if we live lives of righteousness, oh, none of us are perfect. We get that because we still battle that thing called the flesh. But if we follow hard after Him, if we live lives of righteousness, uh, the scripture says we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. This morning, whether you're here or watching online, I respectfully ask, have you made the decision to receive the kingdom of of, of Christ into your life? Have you asked Christ to be your Lord and Savior? See, when you do that, you are not just saying words. You are saying, Lord, I allow your kingdom rule in my life. My, I give my life to you. Like we sang a few minutes ago, I give my life away. It belongs to you. When we receive Christ, we sign away ownership of our lives. In conclusion, this morning... Theologian and scholar R.C. Sproul tells about a trip he took in 1990. He said he was invited into Eastern Europe to do a series of lectures in three countries, Czechoslovakia, then Hungary, and finally in Romania. He said, as we were leaving Hungary, we were warned uh, that the border guards in uh, Romania were quite hostile to Americans and that we should be pre prepared to be hassled and, and possibly even arrested at the border. So he said, sure enough, when our rickety train crossed the, the border into Romania, two guards came on the train, and they couldn't speak English, but they pointed for our passports and uh, to our luggage. They wanted us to pull our luggage down from the racks, open everything up. They were very brusque and very rude. He said, then suddenly their boss came on the train. And uh, he noticed that one of the women in, in their group had something sticking out of a paper bag, and he pointed to it, he made her take it out, and it was a Bible. And he took the Bible, and they began to leaf through it. And then he looked at R.C. Sproul, and he said to him, you know American, in his broken English. And he said to uh, Sproul's wife, Vesta, you know American. And he said the same thing to all the others. You know American. And he said, I am not Romanian. And they looked at him puzzled, with puzzled looks on their faces. And then he pointed to a passage in the Bible, Philippians 3.20, which says our citizenship is in heaven. He was a Christian. He understood that their primary identification was not their country. It was a kingdom. Hallelujah. He turned to his subordinates and say, said, let these people alone. They're okay. They're Christians. And he let them pass through. He understood that uh, the primary identification was that we are members of a kingdom, not of this world. As we conclude this service today, I want to say this. If we are citizens of God's kingdom, I want everyone to hear this if you've heard nothing else today. If we are citizens of God's kingdom, 
Our primary identification shouldn't be our nationality or our ethnicity, whether we're black or white or Hispanic or Asian or Pacific Islander or Eastern European, whatever it is. Our primary identification shouldn't be as a Democrat or a Republican or a conservative or a liberal or even as a man or a woman. Those are the only two choices, by the way. Or any other label we want to put on ourselves. Our primary identification should always be that we are radical followers of Jesus Christ, that we are passionate citizens of God's kingdom. God is calling us, church, hear me, God is calling us to get serious about kingdom living. That everything we do, every thought we think, every action we take, every word we speak is with the understanding that we belong to a kingdom, not of this world. That should be our primary identification. That should be uh, what we claim to be above all other things.